0: Five Ways This Podcast Will Make You a Better Lover, (laughs) otherwise known as Desire and The Secret to BuzzFeed's video success. And Netflix fires a bullet to the heart of theatrical distribution with their first ever self-produced original movie, a sequel to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This is episode four of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media.
1: Media Unplugged. With Tom Asaka and Mark Ramsey.
0: Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey, and
1: I'm Tom Asaka.
0: Tom, we got a couple of great topics for today. The first one came from you. Um, five ways this podcast will make you a better lover. Did you like my title, by the way?
1: Uh, yeah, that wasn't the title I sent you, but I like no. <laughs> yours, I like yours better.
0: <laughs> well, my title. I'm trying to learn from the the article that you sent me. The article uh, was called "The Secret to BuzzFeed's Video Success: Data." Data and this article was an interview with the executive producer of Buzzfeed Video, a guy named Andrew Gautier. I assume he pronounces it the French way, Gautier.
1: Gautier.
0: And he talked about how um, how they come up with it. Buzzfeed has this amazing track record that everything, every video they put out goes viral. Every video is as huge as every other video they put out. Here we've got an, a, a world of people desperately thinking that they can take whatever thing they want to publish add some special spice to it and make it viral and hear BuzzFeed hit after hit after hit after hit. And the article was about how they go about doing that. And what it really came down to was being sensitive to their audience and being inquisitive with regard to data. And you take it even a level deeper.
1: Yeah, I don't think data is the best D word to describe what they're doing or what the formula is. I mean, the headline should probably have read the secret to BuzzFeed's video success, Desire. Because, uh, listen, I looked today and there's a video called uh, Australian's Taste Test American Sweets. It has over 400,000 views. Yesterday was dogs versus peanut butter. And it was slow motion (laughs) video clips of dogs (laughs) eating or really struggling to eat peanut butter set to classical music. Now, (laughs) this is is day one of the video. There were 350,000 views. (laughs) And then I look at my TED Talk that's been online for three months. and it's got, It has like a little over 5,000 views, right? So obviously they know more about feeding people's hungers with these videos than I possibly could imagine doing my TED Talk.
0: <laughs> well, what is it that they're doing right then? How are they tapping into desire from your perspective?
1: Listen, this is classic. Look at people's behaviors to determine people's desires and then predict their future behaviors based on that information. So they've got a bunch of people, I think it's what, 40 people in their group, and they're just on the internet all day long looking at what people are sharing, what they're reacting to, what people think is funny, and and they take that information and they say, ah, if they're doing that, that's what people must like. So how do we take that, dog videos, cat videos, whatever it is, and how do we create something in a professional manner, that they want to pass around. I don't understand why this concept is so difficult for people to grasp. I mean, it's really beyond me. So, wait,
0: you're saying that uh, what you think is going on primarily is that the BuzzFeeders, apart from their analysis of their own data, which is really an after-the-fact exercise, right, once they publish it, they can evaluate their data. But before they publish it, they've got to evaluate the same thing the rest of us have. You're saying that they essentially take whatever the memes are in, in, in the Internet and riff on it. Uh, create a video that uh, that constitutes that riff, and uh, and then evaluates the data from there.
1: Exactly, and then see then a little bit more data gives them a little bit more information on what turns people on. I, I mean, it, it, I think about it and I look at what they're doing and I, and I look for a metaphor. I, I say, well, what what are they real? What's going on? What's the value they're creating? It's simple. It's like you know why were greeting cards so popular, because some creative person was helping us cleverly express an emotion or helping us make someone laugh or turn them on that 's what these videos are accomplishing. It provides what you know is sometimes referred to as a social currency, something we can use to garner attention and make connections and that 's valuable to us
0: social currency I think the um that was what was the, the he said. One of the early quotes in here was that they um, they wanted to be. I can't remember the term. A social something or other. But it was it was it was built on that concept. It's really um, a, a social currency is at the heart of what they're trying to create, and the, it's kind of both the the inspiration and the outcome of what they're creating. But I wonder. So what lesson is there for those of us trying to you know? bring our brands to others to market our stuff to others i mean what are we supposed to take from that that we can use uh uh, otherwise we're just another platform another buzzfeed
1: well it's to really do a deep dive into what people desire what what their beliefs are and you do that by looking at their behaviors that's what really all this big data thing is all about it's trying to make some type of predictions about what we should create, what we should produce, what we should send out into the world because we have an idea that that's, this is what people want. I remember a quote Steve, Steve Jobs once remarked that when you're young you look at television and you think, "God, ah, there's a conspiracy here. You know the networks are conspirac- conspiring to dumb us down. He said, but when you get a little older you realize it's not true. The networks are a business and they're, doing, they're giving people exactly what people want, what they desire. That's what BuzzFeed is doing right now, and that's what everyone else in business should be focused on. So as a business person,
0: what, what are the best ways to kind of read that behavior? I mean, it's easy to browse the Internet and talk to 40 people who, as the article says, live online.
1: But in any other category, how do I kind of assess that behavior? Watch what they're doing. I mean, see, that's what people, all of this talk about, oh, people want this because they're talking about it. No, people want to talk about those things. If you want to see what people want, look at what they do i remember someone I, I, it was a crazy thing it, but there was some kind of big data thing that walmart or someone was doing and they found out that when uh tornadoes and hurricanes and severe weather are moving through particular parts of the country a particular food on the shelves sells out like crazy can you guess what that is because i had absolutely no clue to that
0: i have no idea what that
1: would be okay it was pop tarts so, see, you know, I, w- I might have said mac and cheese
0: because although I do love Pop-Tarts, I love mac and cheese more.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, but see, it he- looks. So here's the insight. So you look at the data and you say, hmm, why not mac and cheese? Why Pop-Tarts? Oh, you don't have to cook Pop-Tarts. So when the electricity <laughs> goes out, you have a bunch of Pop-Tarts sitting there, right? I can absolutely attest you don't have to cook (laughs) Pop-Tarts. So it's looking for the insights. The insights are in people's behavior. That what they want is what they do. Mm. You're listening to
0: Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, topic two, Netflix fires a bullet into the heart of theatrical distribution with their first ever self-produced original movie, a sequel to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Now, this comes from an article that you sent me from uh, QZ.com, but it's all over the place. Uh, that, that article is called Netflix is making an original movie, but it won't come cheap. I have so much to talk about here. I don't know where to start. As you know, this is a particular of interest of mine. Yep. The, the nub of it is this. Netflix is teaming up with the Weinstein Company, Harvey Weinstein and his brother Bob, people who are known for their taste um, to create a sequel to the 2000 uh, movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which includes some of the original cast that part of the original cast that survived the original movie right. and no doubt survived the negotiation for the sequel so the idea is that this movie which would release next year will run on netflix of course for free and then will run on any imax theater that'll have it for a fee not surprisingly the theaters are freaking out i mean does that surprise you at all
1: now here we go again right Well, they're going to kill the theatrical window the business model that the theater, you know, that, that the movie theaters and, and the DVD sellers, everyone is, is in this game together, which is extract as much money in the distribution channel as possible from these movies, uh, you know, and, and the window shrinking. What was it, six months? Now it's li- maybe a little under four months. I mean, a few things struck me. The article said that Netflix was out to save the movie business. Now, that's kind of funny, right? (laughs) They're not trying to save the movie business. And it even said that they were going to disrupt. That's the big word. Uh, That that will be the business buzzword of 2014. So they're out trying to disrupt the Mm -hmm. Hollywood business model, the release window model. And and that's a stretch, too. What they're trying to do is add more unique value to their offering, Mm -hmm. sign up more subscribers by giving people what they want when they want it how and where they want it i mean the the venture capitalist peter Thiel he made it clear every business is successful exactly to the extent that it does something others cannot or i would add will not this so goes
0: back to your this goes back to your previous point too i mean they're simply tapping into the desire for what people ideally want because uh, the the whole distribution window thing the time between you know step one step two step three in the distribution process That's an anachronism. That's an artificial construct overlaid on consumers by a variety of distribution channel forces which have their own economic interests at heart,
1: right? That's exactly right. I mean, if you think about it, if you look to the future of of what the future of of, of movies is or movie consumption, it's going to kill some distribution channels. I mean, for example, you know, so the staggered release schedule, that gives Walmart a window to profit from DVD sales. That's going to go away someday but the fight right. the fight right now is what to, to hold on to those dollars to maintain the present model that's why the theater owners are fighting and it's the same reason why the studios tried to kill uh, the VCR when it was introduced
0: well i'll tell you i don't begrudge at all that th- i understand completely why the theater owners are, uh, are 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 freaking out over this however their attacks are really i mean you read some of the news releases it says it refers to the movie as a direct to video <laughs> released, which, as you know, is a phrase that dates to the 80s in VHS. I I don't think it has the same resonance in an era when uh, numerous things debut on numerous platforms. Um, I've heard people complain about this, to describe it as a martial arts movie, as as if to diminish it. People forget that the original Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was nominated for six Oscar awards. Uh, including Best Picture, yeah, best and it was, picture, di- yeah. it was directed by Ang Lee. Furthermore, you know, Netflix and the Weinsteins are not hacks. They're both brands that are well-known for their taste, and it's altogether possible that they have aspirations for this sequel that are as high as the aspirations that Netflix had
1: for House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. Yeah, and listen, you, you remember seeing the original movie, right? It, it, pe- there will be a lot of people who want to see that, on the big IMAX screen, right? They will, compared but they, to they won't see it in the screen. U.S.
0: I'm, I'm, I'll, here's my prediction: They will not see it on the big screen in the U.S. I think the Netflix is going to be locked out of the U.S. That said, I find it, it, it. Remember, and Netflix only exists in the U.S. as a as a, a streaming company. It is inconceivable that they won't get uh, distribution internationally for this. And needless to say, a quote-unquote martial arts movie plays very well internationally. They will get international distribution. And then domestically, um, let's think about the economics here. This is going to be roughly a 40-something million dollar movie, which is not that much. Netflix is going to be in for half at most, with the Weinsteins and IMAX in for the other half. So we're talking $20 million, which is roughly the cost of two episodes of House of Cards. And if you consider the publicity value of that, the potential for them to generate new subscribers as a result of that, and to introduce people to other assets in their portfolio, I mean, it's such a no-brainer for them. Um, So for Netflix, the value is obvious. I think, however, for the theater owners, this is the first crack in the wall, and that crack's going to get bigger Um, Some time ago, I talked to uh, Peter Guber, the former head of Sony, and I asked him this question about, you know, what's the future of distribution? And he answered with three words, day and date, day and date, day and date. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is the idea that one movie releases on multiple platforms at the exact same time. And the differentiation across platforms is no longer time, it's price. So that the price on every platform is, is, is different according to whatever the, the market will bear. Now, this was before Netflix was in the television business, let alone the movie business. So I think Peter might have a slightly different answer now. But clearly, um, we're moving towards that world. And the theater owners like to argue that the experience of the theaters is so grand and compelling that that big screen is so awesome, that that sound is so loud, that those chairs shake when you pay extra for them, that the idea of seeing this movie in the presence <laughs> of many other beating hearts, is, inclu- some of them crying, is so attractive that people would never want to do without it. I think that a great deal of their benefit, if not all of it, has much more to do with that exclusive three-month window than it does with any of that other stuff.
1: Well, I would agree. I mean, for, for for many movies, I think there are certain movies that, you know, you, you would want to see on that type of screen and in that type of environment. And um, so it depends. I, I think, it, again, it comes down to choice. And I think Netflix was really smart here. I mean, I was sitting and I was wondering, I wonder if they anticipated this reaction by the theater owners, right? Wouldn't I was they?
0: thinking the same thing because, you know, they're playing dumb. The IMAX CEO said, quote, I knew it wouldn't work for some people.
1: <laughs> right. And then I started thinking about it. And I said, wow, are these guys smart? Okay, it, <laughs> if, it, if it does get picked up by the theaters, right? So what, what, are they, what are they thinking? Okay, in a word, it's really simple. It's genius. They're thinking comparison, right? Because how mm-hmm. do people make purchase decisions? They typically do a quick calculus that compares their options. So if you really want to see a movie... Like this, you might say to yourself, let's see, an IMAX ticket is what, 13 bucks. Add in some snacks, I'm up to 20. How much is Netflix membership again? $8 a month? Maybe 10 when we get to next year when it releases? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so they look at it and say, okay, wait a minute. I get a free month for signing up, which means I really get two months of entertainment and this movie for the same cost as one IMAX movie?
0: Right? I think well, that's exactly right. right? I think I th- that's exactly, <laughs> and that's why I think that. They planned on this reaction. They actually hope for this reaction because, quite frankly, Tom, if the movie plays in IMAX theaters in the U.S. and it's anything but a raging success, and it's likely to be anything but a raging success, then it's going to have that stain, that stink on it. And if it's refused by those IMAX theaters <laughs> and other theaters in the U.S., then it can only win by Netflix's definition. No, ex- exactly. And listen to some of these stats. I think they're also playing off some some trends that some people may not realize. But, you know, domestic movie box office sales are actually up a little bit from, from 2012 to last year. But as not everybody knows, the increase is largely a result of higher ticket prices and the cost of premium, premium experiences like IMAX. Uh, because the number of tickets sold slipped between those two years, 1.5%. The number of tickets sold fell nearly 11% between 2004 and 2013. Box office revenue during that time increased 17%. So they're making more money off a smaller number of people. And oh, by the way, the tickets sold decreased 11%. The population of the U.S. is up 8%. Yeah. So it's becoming less and less of a relevant experience as time goes by. And I think the ability of even the movie studios to justify that as the... Uh, premiere, the, the way to premiere their, their, their products is going to diminish. You know, really what this comes down to, the reason why that opening salvo in the movie theaters is so important is because it's an attention game. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie studio publicity machine builds to one date and that one date is the movie opening. Now, that one date could be some other experience. You could theoretically focus that attention on the date that it goes live on Netflix, couldn't you?
1: Well, yeah. Be, listen, th- those dates—you're right—of gaining attention. I think I, I don't remember which movie it was, but one of the stu- one of the studios pulled in the release window because they didn't want their movie to compete with the Olympics, right? right. So, so yeah, they they know that they know they're competing for eyeballs, just just like any, everyone else is.
0: One last note on this—that's—it was just announced, I think, the last day or so. Uh, Netflix announced, you may not have seen this, their second movie deal. Did you see this one? No, which one was that? The next four movies produced by and starring Adam Sandler.
1: (laughs) Well, now that is really kind of uh, a mistake. And I well, love, maybe, and I love Adam Sandler. <laughs> maybe
0: you haven't seen the grosses for Adam Sandler's last movie. You might think differently. Uh, um, clearly, sorry. you're dealing with a the guy there. This is this is not the same. This is not Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You got a guy who's somewhat past his prime, to put it mildly. I mean, Adam Sandler in 2014 is like Chevy Chase in 2004. Um, yeah, but it does uh, plant another flag, and it's another sign of what Netflix's intentions are. I think uh, all in all. Uh, we're going to see more day and dates sooner rather than later. Well, okay. and,
1: and it's and it's what the consumers want, right? I mean, what's the lesson? I think the lesson is, is the emergence of purple cows has a tendency to kill off cash cows. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Thank you. <laughs> that should have been the title of the podcast.
0: Um, let's move on to rants and raves. Um, what's your? Do you have a rant or a rave this week?
1: Can I can I rave and rant again? <laughs>
0: Yes, you can do anything you want. All right, Tom. It's your well, listen, podcast.
1: I've got to rave, uh, in, in, in you, you know, you've mentioned some of the shows that you like. But I mean, the the quality of dramatic shows on television is just getting better and better and better. I, I, so, so I want to rave about that. But I've got to rant. Why do the networks have to jam them all in on Sunday night? <laughs> Right. I mean, Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, The Good Wife, The Walking Dead, Homeland, Mad Men, Breaking Bad. And this is right in the middle of Sunday night football, too. So, Mm. I mean, I get it. I know Sunday night is the most popular night of the week for TV. I know a third of the country tunes in on Sunday. But I think we're confusing maybe some cause and effect. Right. Maybe we're all watching Sunday because all the great shows are on Sunday. So mm. and, and what are we supposed to do? What's a viewer supposed to do? I, I think they want us to record all of these shows and then watch them later. But what's later? During Monday Night well, Football? Well, ideally within
0: three days. Yeah,
1: right. No, we're not going to do it because then we got Monday Night Football. And so I think audiences and networks have created some kind of expectation that Sunday night is the night for great television. And if, mm. they don't, if the show isn't on then, then maybe we'll look at it and say, ah, maybe there's something – not quite right about it you know it's uh, but this is it's
0: just, not good enough you're saying it's not good enough to be on sunday night is what
1: we're yeah well yeah, listen yes it's convention you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of industry trade shows of which i've been at a lot <laughs> and so what's the logic I, it's this let's rent a big booth at the show that's where mm-hmm. everyone will be. We'll draw people in with pens and squeezy balls with logos on them. And, and here's the thing. If you don't see a particular company in one of the big booths, you start wondering what happened to them. It's, it's the same <laughs> thing. It's all perception. <laughs> but this is the 21st century. Let's get creative. There are so many ways to reach out to people and get them to your show. I think it's mm-hmm. time for the networks to consider how to draw people into their shows. Instead of relying on Sunday night to do it for him, move a few to Tuesday. Take a leap of faith and try the dreaded Friday night death slot or something. Try something new. I mean, Mark well,
0: after all, it's 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 uh, it wasn't that that long ago that Thursday night was must see TV, right?
1: Yeah, Exactly. Listen, here it is. Mark Twain said, when you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. I think these people need to pause and reflect.
0: Hmm. And Mark Twain, by the way, is a fan of the blacklist from what I understand.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> He's still He's around. He, he, he watches that with Elvis. He watches right.
0: the Black. He loves James Spader. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a, you have that, is that your rant or your rave? I don't know or is that a rant is. rape?
1: Listen, truth is, I don't really care what they do because I've <laughs> I've maxed out on the number of shows I can watch anyway, so they can do whatever right. they want.
0: <laughs> I got to move on to mine because you know I have this uncanny ability to find these delicious rants, and I found <laughs> another one this week. So let's go back in time. The iPhone six uh, was announced on September 9th, right? Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, the great Joan Rivers made a post on her Instagram slash Facebook, and the post was referencing her previous iPhone before this one, and it went like this. This badass is being replaced by an iPhone 6, not the fat one. I got this one in 2010, and after four years, my only complaint is that apps are now designed for bigger screens and the battery's getting tired. Never had a case for it since it was the most beautiful on its own. Great achievement in design. Great product. Now, When, when was this? <laughs> you you're getting a step ahead of me so the phone is announced September 9th two weeks later this hits Joan's Facebook page now you can guess the problem with this whole story right
1: well she died the week before the iPhone came
0: out she died five days before the phone was announced unbelievable so and here's what's funny about this and of course they pulled it right away but as you know, if you Google best practices in social media, if you talk to any of the social media experts, any of the gurus out there, what do they all tell you? They tell you the critical importance of being honest, of being real, of being uh, informal, of being uh, uh, um, um, transparent, <laughs> transparent. yes, um, the, of of being human. They stress these attributes to you time after time after time, and then you see a post like this, and you realize that this is not unusual. That this that there is, as you know, Tom, an entire industry built around essentially uh, fake authenticity, and that this post is just the tip of that iceberg, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what is authenticity? We can get into a whole. <laughs> A whole show of that one, right?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you can Google online how to buy access to Kim Kardashian's Twitter feed. It is for sale. Anybody who thinks that Kim Kardashian's posts are any more real than a reality show needs to have their head examined. So it's just funny that such a thing like this was just so flagrantly obvious, such a flagrant violation of the very precepts that social media is built on.
1: Yeah, probably crossed the line just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Into the other, like the other realm, almost. I guess.
0: <laughs> that is. It's literally <laughs> right. from beyond, from beyond the grave. Right. That's media unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you are there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can follow the great Tom Asacker at Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and your comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. And of course, if there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website mediaunplug.net. Special thanks to the new producer of Media Unplug, Jeff Schmidt, the great Jeff Schmidt, exciting audio for Media, you can find him at jeff-schmidtschmidt.com. For the fabulous Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey, thanks for listening.